Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, a few years ago, uh, or not a few years ago, a few uh, weeks ago, a few months ago, I, I was talking to Miss Vicki. Let me take a survey real quick. This is not really on my notes, but here we go. How many of you have ever been to an options pregnancy banquet? Raise your hand. Wow. Okay. More of you need to go. And I'm so glad for those that couldn't lift your hand that you're here this morning because uh, I told Miss Vicki, oh, and there tomorrow, there's an options pregnancy banquet tomorrow night and Tuesday night. And after you hear our guest speaker this morning, you're going to want to be there. And so if you would like to see if there's some way you can get in tomorrow night's or Tuesday night's banquet. Miss Vicki, where are you this morning? Miss Vicki's right here. See her after service, and you can see if she can squeeze you in. Now, if she cannot squeeze you in, I will sell you my ticket for $1,000, okay? <laughs> uh, so, so you might want to see her first. But if, if she can't help you, I'll, I'll help you. And uh, when I say I'll sell you my ticket, I'm actually going to sell you Megan's ticket. I'm not giving mine up. I'm going... <laughs> But, uh, but that is where I first heard our guest speaker uh, a few years ago at one of these events. And I told Vicki then, I said, if you ever have him back, just if it's any possible, he could just come 24 hours earlier. We would love to have Dr. Ron Archer with us. He has a w- wide array of experience, uh, expertise, and highly educated. He has served the kingdom through pastoring churches planning churches, and now he pastors, pastors, he leads in the business world, he is a person of high spiritual Jesus influence, and many of our, our leaders across our nation, including military and corporate, uh, this is not in his, this is not in his biography, but I'm also pretty sure in his spare time, he played the part of Morpheus in the Matrix, is that, was that you? Okay, I thought it was. But after spending just 20 minutes driving to his hotel last night, I sensed the presence of God upon his life, the gift of God upon his life. I I discovered a father who loves his family and a grandfather who's proud of his grandparents. And I believe that today God has sent him our way to give each of us a word from God and a moment that God will impact our lives forever. Would you help me welcome to the stage Dr. Ron Archer. Thank you so much for being here today. We're humbled by your presence. God bless you. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises will continually be in my mouth. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Because we know that if God be for us, who can be against us? Because we can do all things through Christ who gives us our strength. Good morning. 
My name is Dr. Ron Archer. I'm honored by your pastor, the golf king of this area, <laughs> who has brought me into this beautiful sanctuary of praise to meet his beautiful wife, who sings in harmony. That's important to me because when I sing, I harm many. <laughs> I'm telling you, I went to my first singing class in college, and you had to audition to know where to put you, you know, if you're bass or alto or soprano. And so I sang the Star Spangled Banner. Within 30 seconds, she stopped me. She said, go back and get your money back. I can't help you. <laughs> I said, you're a PhD in music. She said, and you're tone deaf. <laughs> My oldest son is a military officer, Air Force, straighten up and fly right. He's located in Travis Air Force Base on the West Coast. He's in charge of cyber intelligence, cyber security. Spent some time in Okinawa and Korea and all that good stuff. And he has a nickname for me. His name is Christopher, but he calls me affectionately Baldilocks. I don't know why. But well, that's okay, I have a nickname for him. It's called, ha, heredity. <laughs> but I see a few men, including your pastor, who has our same phallic challenge. So I got a word for you, pastor. God does not put marble tops on cheap furniture. So keep shining for Jesus, pastor. Now, I have served as an NFL chaplain for many teams. So this being football season, I got a little football story to tell you, and then we'll get into our message. A young man took his mom to her first ever live NFL game. It was a home game, and they had great seats, 50-yard line seats right behind the team's bench. And the referee came out in his striped shirt and his quarter. He flipped the quarter, and the game began. It was a grudge match between their adversary and rivalry team. It was tied up, went into overtime, went into the very last minute, and the home team kicked a 50-yard field goal, and they won the game. Oh, everybody's screaming, hollering, cats and dogs, you know, loving each other. It was amazing. So then he took his mom to dinner, and he said, Mom, how did you like your first NFL game? And mom was like, whoa, it was so violent. And they were so fast and big. But she said, I didn't know something, son. He said, what, mom? I didn't realize how poor these players are. He said, mom, these guys are millionaires. And some, you know, make $100,000 for being a water boy, basically. Your mother pays attention, honey. These players are struggling financially. He said, how, how so, mom? Quite simple, honey. When the game began, the man in the striped shirt came out with his quarter. He flipped it in the air, and all I heard the rest of the game was, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. <laughs> they are poor. <laughs> we are going to talk about today, with the Lord's help, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit, this thing we call storm, storm survival. There are a few things we know about storms. 
Number one, storms are inevitable. No matter how good you live, no matter how kind you are, no matter how much you tithe, no matter how much you serve, you will experience at some point in your life some kind of a storm. A storm is either right with you now, just leaving or on its way. The word storm in our ministry has a meaning, acronym, S-T-O-R-M, significant trauma, overwhelming, reasonable minds, something that drops you to your knees, something you could not plan for or expect, something that overwhelmed you with grief or sorrow or shock or pain, something that just took the breath out of you and you couldn't even breathe. There are many types of storms. There are financial storms. There's a health storm. There can be a marital storm, a child-wearing storm, a vocational job storm, a friend storm. But something that you did not plan on that showed up and tested everything about you as a human being. So storms are inevitable. Oh, second, storms will never leave you like they found you. They will either make you better or bitter, a winner or a whiner, a champ or a chump, a contender or a pretender, but the storm you're going to go through or have been through or in right now will never leave you like it found you. But the good news is, is on the boat where the disciples were, they had the Savior of the world, they had Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He that stood on nothing and called everything into existence, they had him on their boat during a storm. He stood up and said, peace, be still. No matter what storm you are facing, you have a Savior who can speak to your storm by name and say, peace, be still. He can calm the waves. He can calm the wind. He can calm all that is happening. The vicissitudes of the commodity, of the pedantic nomenclature overwhelming your boat. He can say, stop. You can call on him. And he can calm the winds and the waves. So we're going to look at an interesting scripture. Take your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, written by that great lawyer, Pharisee, taught by Gamaliel, the Apostle Paul, chapter 4, looking at verses 7, 8, and 9 of this great chapter. So Paul here is writing again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and 9. If you have your place, say amen. If you're still looking, say wait. Very good. They that wait upon the Lord. So it says here these words, but we, stop right there. Paul is not writing to unbelievers. He's not writing to the outside people in the Corinth community. He is writing to the body of Christ, the called out ones, the Christianos. He is talking to us believers in Jesus Christ. But we, the pronoun, it means all of us. But we have possessing this treasure. Stop right there. The word treasure in the Greek means thesaurus. 
Now, when you were in high school or in college, you were writing a paper, you used a thesaurus, which was a cornucopia plethora, a variety of words to help you say something differently but has the same meaning, synonyms. For example, you can say Dr. Archer is loquacious, verbose, chatty, talkative. He doesn't stop, but it means the same thing. So Paul says we have this thesaurus. We have this treasure chest, this cornucopia, this plethora of treasures within us when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, God deposits in us his treasure chest. What do we have? What has God put in you? What has God put in me? I call them the various P's. Number one, we have the presence of Almighty God. Greater is he that is what? in you than he that is in the world. So when you accept Jesus Christ, God takes up residence in you. We call this exousia, meaning that you have authority based upon your relative connectivity to someone in higher authority. What does that mean? So you have an 18-wheeler on the highway going 80 miles an hour, and there's one little Barney Fife with a whistle and a stop sign and tells that big, gigantic diesel to stop. Now, that particular truck has the power to run that little Barney Fife over, but when that little guy blows his whistle and has a stop sign, <laughs> why does that truck driver who has the power to run that guy over stop? Because he knows something. Behind this little guy is the entire police department. Behind the police department is the National Guard. Behind the National Guard is the U.S. Army. Behind the Army is the Marines. Behind the Marines is the Navy. Behind the Navy is the Air Force. Behind that is nuclear weaponry. I'm going to stop. <laughs> and you need to know that behind you is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the power of heaven. It's not you that the devil fears. It's not you that the demons run. But when you declare that you know, I am an ambassador, I am an envoy of the Most High God, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in my storm. Tell your neighbor, I got some power because of who's in me. So I need you to understand something today, that you are a teabag. What does that mean, Dr. Archer? You go buy some tea, they're in little bags. They're nice and comfy in a little box. You put it in the shelf. Then one day, a hand comes, opens up the box, grabs a tea bag, and like, oh, this is fun, I'm flying, I'm flying, look at me. And then there is a cup of boiling, hot, steaming water. And the tea bag goes, where we're going? I don't like jacuzzis. <laughs> and the tea bag is dipped over and over in that hot, scalding water. It doesn't feel good. It's not nice. Nobody asked for me. I, I wanted to stay with my friends in the tea box. Why are you putting me in this hot water? Why is this storm happening in my life? And the tea bag understands one thing. This hurts! But when that tea bag is dunked over and over again, something miraculous happens. 
What's on the inside of the tea bag begins to leach out and changes the color, the smell, the taste, the viscosity of the water. What was clear and impotent and inert now becomes something beautiful to be drunk and you put it in the water and the water gets darker and smells good and tastes good and changes everything. I'm trying to tell you something today. You were designed to be dunked in your family, dunked on your job, dunked in your community, not to harm you, but to change everything around you because of what's inside of you that can only come out in hot water. He ain't trying to hurt you. God's not trying to kill you. He's trying to release what's inside of you. And the hot water is the activator. We have these treasures. We have the presence of God. We have the power of God. We have the peace of God. We have the promises of God. We have the protection of God. We have the purpose of God. We have the plan of God. All of that is within us when we accept Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence. Now, many of you have treasure, some family heirlooms, diamonds, a wedding ring, stocks and bonds, cash. How many would put your most valuable treasure in an old, fragile, breakable, easily destroyed clay pot? Clay pots are not very safe. Clay pots are easily broken. Clay pots are not secure, and yet God says in the didactic, paradoxical information in the scripture that we have this treasure in clay pots. That's not safe. Easily broken, fragile. And yet God chooses to put all of this treasure we just talked about in Pots of clay. That's called a paradoxical yin-yang didactic, meaning it don't make no sense. You wouldn't do it. Why would God do it? Well, let's understand something about these clay pots. Back in the day, in the first century AD, in the antiquities of man, they didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have outdoor plumbing. They didn't have any plumbing. What they had was a big clay pot where we get the word pot tea from in English or a chamber pot. And so they're having a big feast. Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Passover, high holy days. And there's a festival, there's a feast. Everybody's eating to their fill and laughing and you have to go to the restroom. There is no flushable toilet. There's a clay pot that you go and use and everybody uses the same pot time and time and time. And, and the cup runneth over. There's a stench. There's a merit of colors and clumps and chunks. I'm trying to help you understand now what's going on here. That pot is nasty, rank, vile, offensive. Now it's your turn. Somebody before you had a burrito. Somebody before them ate a lot of corn. 
and it all showed up. Now it's your turn. And you go in to use the pot. You're holding your nose, and as you wave your hand, your wedding ring falls in the pot. Blup, 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 blup. And you got to take your hand and go into that pot and dig down. That's not the ring. This is called the juxtaposition of the scripture. God is saying, I've taken pots that have been defiled, defecated in, used by the devil for his own devices. This pot of manure, this pot of stink, this pot of rebellion, this pot of sin, this pot of devastation, this pot of selfishness, this pot of rebellion, and I will put my hand in this pot and transform it into a treasure chest so everybody will see where sin abound, grace did much more abound. I don't care how messed up you are. I don't care what has happened to you. I don't care how much your sins stink. God, once he puts his treasure, the toilet becomes a treasure chest. Why does God do it? It's in the scripture, man. It's right here. But we have this treasure in pots of clay that, oh, I love this scripture, oh, that their surpassing power belongs to God and not of us. It's not about your talent. It's not about your gifting. It's not about your intellectual prose. It's not about your family legacy. It's not about your heritage. It's not about your capability. It's about the grace and mercy of God that takes where you've messed up so he can show up. Remember this, my friends. Every miracle in the Bible started off as an impossible situation. Every miracle in the scriptures started off as something that no man could fix. And God likes it like that. So when he shows up and he shows out, there are no excuses. There's no explanation. You can't use science and some kind of information to explain what happened. Only by the presence and power of God was this situation that looked dead, that looked destroyed, that looked dysfunctional, and God got a hold of it and turned pain into power, wounds into wisdom, tragedy into triumph. Only God. Say God. So if your situation is messed up, you're next in line for a miracle. If your finances are messed up, you're next in line for a miracle. If your marriage is torn down, broke down, and thrown down, you're next in line for a miracle. If your kids are acting like cats and dogs, crazy and acting stupid, you're next in line for a miracle. If you release it to God and tr quit trying to fix it yourself. We get in God's way, planning and scheming and manipulating and trying to move things our way. Sometimes you got to shut up so God can show up. But we have this treasure in pots of clay. Why? So that the surpassing power, the glorious power, the word is dunamis, 
belongs to God and not of us. Wow. God chose your situation to put his presence in so people who don't believe will watch and see the transformation of your marriage, the transformation of your family, the transformation of your finances, the transformation of your grades, the transformation of your situation, and say, your God is God. Because you were jacked up. And nobody could fix you but God. So how does all of this get expressed? How does the presence, the power, the peace, the, 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 all of these P's come out? Paul continues, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I love that juxtaposition of the scripture. I spent some time in Israel. The Bible comes to life. You see the Sea of Galilee. I baptized 60 people in the Jordan River. Went to Cana where the first miracle happened, turning water into wine. Went to old Jerusalem in the Wailing Wall where the last temple was built. Walked the Via Dolorosa, the place of suffering where Jesus carried the cross to Golgotha, to Calvary. Amazing! where the Bible jumps off the page and you see it right before you, the Dead Sea, Jericho. But I went to a place called the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is where they grow all the olives in Israel. It's a bountiful, beautiful place with black and, and green and red olives. And they gather all these olives off of these trees. And right below the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed drops of blood. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane looks really dank, and the trees look malformed, and the trees look spooky. And it's not really big. It's a small garden, and that's where Jesus prayed. Well, do you know what the word Gethsemane means? The word means olive press. So they gather the olives on the Mount of Olives, step down a little staircase, and you're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there is a big again, pot with a stone that's this way and a stone that's this way, and they put all the olives on the stones and they crush them and they break them and they crush them over and over and they pulverize them till there's nothing left. The skin, the flesh, and the seeds are all crushed together and they call that a mash. And they take the mash, scoop it up, and put it on parchment paper. Then put a weight on it, then another parchment. Line was like a parfait, and they line it up with all of this mash stacked up. Parchment, stone, parchment, stone, parchment, stone. Then there's a handle on top that they pull down and lock, and a handle in the bottom, and they pull up and lock, and all of that pressure squeezes all of that mash, and what comes out? Olive oil, the anointing oil, the healing oil the oil of blessing, the oil of transformation flows from the pressing, which is more valuable than the olives themselves. 
And this is why Jesus, who was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, was sweating drops of blood because he was the olive. He was being crushed from the wrath of God and the sin of man, preparing to go to Calvary. He's there praying, and all of this is happening in this place called the Olive Press. Because the greatest thing about Jesus was not his flesh. The greatest thing about Jesus was not his bones. The greatest things about Jesus was not his muscle. The greatest thing about Jesus was not his sinew, his nerves. The greatest things about Jesus was his blood. Where there is no shedding of blood, there can be what? No remission of sin. That's why the song goes, I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. I know it was the blood for me. Jesus had to be crushed. His blood had to flow. His blood had to move out of his body to cleanse us. From sin. What I'm trying to tell you, the greatest thing about you is not your body, it's not your looks, it's not your education, it's the gifting God put inside of you. And then sometimes God puts you in the olive press, not to harm you, not to hurt you, but to allow the anointing and the blessing and the power that's in you to flow out. That's why the scripture says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you and offer you a hope and a future. Paul says, present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. Now, most sacrifices are killed. But he says, I want you to be alive. And I want what's in you to flow out of you. So you're going to go through some stuff. All that live godly will suffer persecution. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Oh, Dr. Ron, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what I'm going through. Oh, Dr. Ron, easy for you to say. You don't know what my parents did to me. Oh, Dr. Ron, you can talk about that because you got a PhD. You've been a million-dollar businessman. You've been on Air Force One. You've written best-selling books. Oh, you don't understand what real pain is like. You don't know what I've been through, man. Oh, no. My mother was sex trafficked at 14. She was raped time and time again by strange grown men. My mother is half Cuban and half German. She looks like a combination of Elizabeth Taylor and Holly Berry with hazel eyes and long black hair. And at 14, was a full-figured young lady. But we know something, ladies, that sometimes beauty in the wrong situation can be a curse, not a blessing. My mom was sex trafficked. Men broke her in and used her bodies to make money. 
14. After two years of this hellish existence, she has what is called a trick baby. For those of you who are not from the hood, let me give you the vernacular definition. A trick is when a prostitute, lady of the night, like Rahab, tries to convince a man that she loves him in order to get as much money as she can. That's called turning a trick. That's the trick, to fool the customer into believing that he is loved so they get paid more. But every now and again during these transactions, there's an oops, there's a mistake, there's a problem, and the woman gets pregnant. My mom is doing this from 14 to 16, and she gets pregnant with a trick baby. Nobody wants a trick baby. This is not two people planning a family. These are not two people in love hoping for a beautiful child. These are two people in a business transaction, and there's an oops. So the men who are trafficking her said, you can't be pregnant. You're our biggest moneymaker. You're exotic. You're beautiful. You're different. So this baby has to die. Three times, and repeat that, three times, and repeat that, three times they tried to abort this baby with hangers, with drugs, with physical abuse, over and over, three times, two times in Cleveland, and one time in New York City, but for whatever reason, this baby just would not give up the ghost. This baby just wouldn't die. This baby just would not quit. No matter what they did, they could not kill this child. They tried. Her womb was ruptured with the hanger. The baby is born premature on a hardwood floor in an abandoned building in the ghetto. The kid is messed up, can't learn, labeled retarded, wets the bed, stutters like crazy. Everybody says you should have had it killed. Why would you bring a child into this world? You're poor and raggedy and a prostitute, and this baby is just a mess has no future, has no hope, can't learn, can't become anything other than another statistic, another problem, another retarded kid, they would say. Three times they tried to end that baby's life, but the hand of God was merciful. That kid grew up in violence, abuse, poverty, in an atheist family full of violence and guns and shooting in the house and all of that mess. This kid was suicidal, living in an atheist home. No hope, no future, no God, no Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, that baby was me. I can't tell you the pain, the shame, the self-hatred, not being loved, not being wanted, sexually abused, physically abused, how you just want to die, how you want the pain to just stop, how you feel so empty, 
and unloved. And because I didn't know God and I didn't know how to pray, I just lived in this darkness, this destitution. My thinking simply was, at 10 years old, I tried to commit suicide with a gun. And my thinking was, if the next 10 years is anything like the last 10 years, I don't want any more years. I just want it to stop. And after I tried to commit suicide and I couldn't do it, the gun had a safety on it, I went to my little closet bedroom, I banged my head against the wall. That's how I went to sleep. Banged my head against the wall. And I cried out in the darkness, help me. I didn't know who I was talking to. I didn't know anything about prayer or God. We had no Bibles, we had no fellowship. I just cried out in my despair, help me. Can I tell you what I know? Can I tell you what I know? Some of you are suffering today, I know. Some of you have a past you can't even talk about. There are things that happen to you you have kept quiet and secret because we can live our lives in quiet desperation. We can think, if people know what happened to me, I'll die. That's what shame is. That's what bondage is. But I want you to know something that I know. There is a God who sits up high. And he does look low. And he hears the cries of his children in the darkest misery, in that olive press being crushed to death. There is a God. I want you to know from me, I know this to be true. There is a God whose heart is for you in spite of what you've been through. Because after I hit my head against that wall and said, help me, my life changed. In my raggedy inner city ghetto school, a new teacher joined. This gray-haired white lady named Mrs. Spears who carried a big, gigantic Gideon Bible that could choke Godzilla. <laughs> and she saw her inner city school as her mission field. And she said to the principal, God sent me here for the worst students, the most broke down, the most dysfunctional. He said, I got somebody for you. I got a case for you. He's in the boiler room where he finger paints all day. He can't talk. He stutters. He wets the bed. Something wrong with the boy. But you can have him. She said, that's the one. And she walked into my room, and she's from Mississippi. She said, hi, baby. My name is Spears. I'm from Mississippi. And they said, you can't talk. Honey, let me tell you right now, God don't make no junk. And you are here by divine design. Can I tell you something? You're going to change your family because God uses greatly those who've been wounded very deeply. I said, oh, Holy Ghost filled Mary Poppins. <laughs> she said, baby. I said, yeah, yeah, yes, ma'am. Do you know that you're in the Bible? I said, I don't think you know my family background. <laughs> we have drug addicts, prostitutes, gang members, devil's disciples. I don't think that qualifies us for the Bible. Baby, can I show you? I'm intrigued. Never seen the Bible, never touched the Bible. She said, now I want you to take the Bible. Now I'm touching the word of God. I'm touching the living, powerful, transformative, 
dynamic, living, powerful, life-changing. It's not just a book, y'all. It's not just something put together by man. But in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of the living God. My Word will go forth and will not come back to me void, but will do that which I sent it out to do. My Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Word, the Word, the Word of God. And for the first time, I'm touching the word of God. And she says, now I want you to look at Jeremiah. I said, oh, I know him. He had a bullfrog. Not him, baby. <laughs> now, I want you to read something out loud. Now, I've never read the Bible in my life. And for the first time, I'm reading Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. And here's what I read. Before. I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you. And before you came forth, I set you apart to be a messenger for me. And it says, but Lord, I cannot speak. That was me. For I'm only a child. And God said, do not say you're only a child because I will put my words in your mouth. And wherever I shall send you, you shall speak for me. Be not afraid of their faces, for I'm with you to deliver you, saith the Lord. Now, I was a stutterer, really bad. I could not imagine getting up before people and talking. I just could, but it said, don't be afraid. I'm going to touch your mouth. She said, now, you can have this Bible, but you got to promise me something. you got to memorize the word. How can a young man keep his way clean by taking heed according to thy word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. So I took that Bible home. I had to hide it because we were atheists. They didn't like the Bible. They didn't like God. And I had a little flashlight, and I would memorize, because I thought they would take the Bible away from me. So I would memorize scripture after scripture after scripture. After a few years, I had memorized over 2,000 scriptures. And can I tell you a little secret? When you memorize that much literature and the Word of God, my brain changed. I developed a photographic memory. I could talk about pedantic nomenclature, academic jargon. I could talk about Aristophanes, Euripides, Classenes, and Pericles, Climbing the Acropolis, Men of the Apothecary. I became a genius, man. My brain had been transformed. I graduated number one. <laughs> Went to college, number one. Started a business, made a million dollars at 28. Became the chaplain for the Cleveland Browns. They need miracles. <laughs> <laughs> God just blew up. So my family started looking. I had an uncle who was probably the devil's disciples named Uncle Buster. He came to me. He said, you couldn't chew gum and walk. There's something about this Jesus thing. So I'm on the Wall Street Journal front page. I got Super Bowl rings. But my family's not saved yet, Pastor. So I'm not happy. And I'm praying every day, God... Saved my family. I started preaching at 16. I'm now 60. 
1.5 million people have come to know Jesus through our ministry in Africa, in Europe, in Latin America. We have churches all over the world. But if your own people are not saved, it's not good. So I'm preaching at my church, the first Baptist church. I'm the young pastor. And guys, in the black church, I know some of you have never been to black churches. That's okay. I'm going to blackify y'all today. <laughs> Officially blackify you. <laughs> so in the black church, let me talk to y'all because y'all understand. Y'all understand. In the black <laughs> in the black church, there are two high holy days. In the Jewish religion, it's Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. In the black church, it's Easter and Mother's Day. <laughs> you will not survive if you do not deliver on Mother's Day. It's also known as Big Hat Day. The mothers come to show off their Kentucky derbies. Big, gigantic hats with birds and partridge in a pear tree, all of that stuff. And boy, you better deliver. Men come out of jail to take their mamas to church on Mother's Day. Uh, see, see, they know. Yeah, say, uh-huh. They understand. So as a young pastor, you better bring it. So I'm ready. I'm, I got my best suit on, brush my teeth extra white, shine my shoes. I'm ready to preach about Mary, the mother of Jesus. When Jesus says, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy. Thank you. A Bible scholar. <laughs> now, to be truthful, I'm a preparation freak. I got to be prepared. So I spend eight hours of study for one hour of preaching. So I got all my notes. I've done my exegesis, hermeneutics, and homiletics. Mean, I'm ready. And so I sit in the pulpit in the Baptist church. You sit on the stage. You know, that's how it works. I don't know. And I'm waiting, you know, all the Mother's Day songs are being sung. Everybody's excited. And guess what? For the first time in her life, my mother comes to church. Wow. Oh! It's like big game day. Ready, set? I'm ready now. <laughs> then I hear the voice of God. I hear the voice of God, man. The voice of God. The voice of God. The voice of God. <laughs> you know what he says to me? Forget your sermon. What? <laughs> crank caller, crank caller. The voice says, preach Hebrews 11. But I'm not prepared. Preach it. I get up. I'm telling my voice cracks. Take your Bibles. <laughs> Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And let's see what the Lord's going to say. Because I don't know. I'm risking everything. Mom is here. The church is packed. And God says, forget your notes. Follow me. I start reading. And it's all about men. It's the hall of faith. All the big boys are there. Gideon and Moses and Abraham. And you can see the mothers going, what does this have to do with Mother's Day? I feel the pressure. 
It's this one lady in my church who sits right in the front row with a big hat. And when she don't like something, she yells out a word or a phrase. Fix it. <laughs> Fix it! I'm reading. I'm sweating. I'm going to get fired. Mom's going to run out to church. And then, as I'm reading Hebrews 11, all these men are there. Only two women are mentioned. Sarah, who was Hebrew, the mother of the Jewish people, makes sense, called Book of Hebrews. But who else would God allow to be in that chapter? Esther, no. Rebecca, no. Mary, no. Elizabeth, Deborah, Ruth, Naomi, no. The other woman that's in that chapter, the whole of faith, was Rahab the prostitute. I said, God, you are good. <laughs> I wrote up my sleeve, kicked off my shoes, and I preached about the rehab of Rahab. Are you kidding me? I preached so good, I took notes on me. <laughs> now, in the Baptist church, you know, after you're done preaching, you open the doors of the church, right? And I asked three questions that day. Are you tired of hurting? Do you want to change? And is what you're doing working for you? And if not, give your life to Jesus, like Rahab. And on that day, my mother, the sex trafficked woman, the birther of the trick baby, the prostitute, the three-time aborted woman, came to Jesus. I baptized my mother into the faith, and we're going to close. And when she got baptized and saved, she became not the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Pauline. <laughs> she went into prostitute houses, into strip clubs, went and got my uncles who were, you know, all messed up and said, get in this van. They said, I said, get in, because <laughs> she's the oldest. They got in. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody in my dysfunctional, messed up, drug-addicted, prostitute-filled family got saved, redeemed, and is working in the church, in our ministry. So my last word to you is this. Yes, I was born a trick baby, full of shame. Yes, I was born a trick baby, almost aborted. Yes, I was born a trick baby who could not speak, write, or think, but the trick was on the devil because God has a plan for people like you and me. You just don't know what God can do with you. Let us stand together right now. Let us stand, let us stand, let us stand. Maybe there's somebody here today who needs an anointing, who needs power, who needs to be filled, who needs to be chosen to be that person that God uses to change your family. I want you to know I have an Elijah anointing. There's a mantle upon my life for presidents and prime ministers and generals and leaders, but also for you. And many of you will be Elishas. Today is your day to get a double portion what God gave to me. This is transferable. God didn't give me this for me. He gave it so I could become a clay pot where his treasure flows through my cracks.
Yes, I'm a crackpot. <laughs> Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. But this day, God brought me here just for you. He knows your past. He knows what you've been through. The devil wants to keep you in bondage and keep you in shame. But this is the day of deliverance. This is the beginning of the rest of your life. And so today, as we prepare, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And that step is simply saying, yes, Lord. I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired of hurting others. I'm tired of being ashamed. I'm tired of living in secret. I'm tired of carrying around these burdens. I'm tired of what has happened to me that's affecting me in every part of my life. I'm tired. I want a touch. I want to be used. I want to be a vessel. But it starts with me. Heal me, use me, fill me. So I can be light for my family. I can be an ambassador of hope. I can be proof that you are God. And it's not where I started, it's where I'm going. But it starts with a commitment, a conviction, a step. So today, God brought me here just for you. This is your breakthrough. This is your divine appointment. This is a time of release. So if you are here this morning, you want a prayer. I'm just going to stretch my hands and pray and touch and agree that you are chosen before the foundations of the world to be used of God, to be that tea bag in hot water, to change mama, to change cousins, to change generational curses and generational blessings. You are the one. As he said, I am Morpheus and you are Neo. But in all sincerity, that is the anointing on my life. So I stretch my hand to you in the name of Jesus Christ. If you want that power I'm talking about, take that step of faith and come forward and let me pray over you. Come on. I know you're here. God sent me for somebody. Come on down. Come down right now in the name of Jesus. Come to the altar. Come to the cross. There's room for you. God died for you. God bled for you. God shed his holy, righteous blood for you, for your shame, for your pain, for your sexual abuse, for your rejection, for your bankruptcy for that abortion that you had, for that divorce you went through, all of the things the devil wants to use to keep you quiet and say, you're not qualified, you can't be used, you are too messed up, lie from the pit of hell. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies who he calls. God uses imperfect people to reach other imperfect people, which is a perfect work. You are enough just as you are. You are enough because God made you in his likeness and his image. He loves you. You ain't got to prove it. 
You don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. All you have to do is ask for it. You are enough. You are good. You are loved. You are special. You are good enough. Reject the lies of the enemy. Reject the lies you've been telling yourself. God wants you to fall in love with him and fall in love with you. Love conquers everything, the love of God. It breaks the yoke that binds. You are beautiful. You are holy in Jesus. You are perfect in Jesus. You are righteous. You are smart. I don't care what the devil has said. I don't care what you have done. God loves you unconditionally. You are enough. And just give everything. Your shame, your pain, your failures, your mess-ups, your affair, your addictions. God wants you to know your pain will become power. Your wounds will become wisdom. Your tragedy will become triumph. Your stumbling blocks will become stepping stones. I was so messed up, I was suicidal. I wanted to die. And I gave all my dysfunction, all my self-hate, all my shame to Jesus. And I said, Lord, I can't fix me. I can't fix me. There's so much wrong with me. But I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. Would you please help me? Would you please use me? Would you please fill me with your presence? Would you please, Lord, make my work life worth living so I'm an ambassador of hope. I'm an ambassador of the Most High God. I can tell you, I can tell you, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be all together. Oh, yeah, God doesn't want your ability. He wants your availability. He's in the business of taking dysfunctional people and making them functional for him. You are enough. You are loved. You are good. You know why? Because God made you in his likeness and in his own image. And he said after he made man, it is good. You are good. You are perfect in Christ. It's time for the devil to get off your back. He's been riding your back for too long. 
telling you lies. You are ugly. You're an alcoholic. You're a drug addict. You had an affair. You had an abortion. You're no good. Lies! Lies! All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you had it all together. Not when you were cleaned up. Not when you made all the right choices. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All you have to say today is yes to the gift. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. If that's you today, repeat that. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead for me. I want to be saved. Save me. Save me. Save me. Then you might be a Christian, but you've fallen away. You've fallen away from your prayer life. You've fallen away from your worship. Life has knocked you off course. It happens. We get distracted. We get lost. Even as Christians, it happens. Quit beating yourself up. Because God has the Holy Spirit that's called the GPS, God's positioning system. When you get lost, he redirects you. He tells you what to do, where to go. He tells you to join a small group and a prayer group. Today's the day to get it back, to get the fire back. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God says, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and what? Heal. Here's my last word to you today as a fellow dysfunctional, as a fellow lost person, as a broken clay pot. God can do miracles through you. You know how beautiful and gifted you are? That's what the devil's been trying to destroy you and stop you and abort you because he knows what God can do through you. He's been keeping you on the sidelines. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You can't serve. You can't serve. You can't serve. So sit down. Shut up. Stay in the background. God can't use you. The church is not a museum for saints to sit on display. It's a hospital we come to get put back together. Last thing. Moses was leading the people out of bondage. They got to the Red Sea. No way out. I know some of you feel that way right now. No way out. <laughs> it's bad. There's a sea in front of me, mountains on either side, and Pharaoh's army coming to kill you. 
you could hear the horses. Yeehaw! Whipshoo! Whipshoo! He probably didn't say yeehaw, but I like yeehaw. But they're coming to kill. And somebody screamed out to Moses, Moses, were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? As I speak like Moses, I'm saying to you today, there are things chasing you, memories, history, generational curses, addictions, abuse, things that chase you, remind you to keep you quiet, to keep you sitting. What did Moses say that day? I'm going to say it. He looked at the people and he said to them that day, look at these Egyptians who are chasing you. Don't hide your head. Don't put your head in the sand. Don't look around. He said, look at them. For you shall see them no more. Then he gave them the four S's I'm going to give to you. Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Four S's. Stand on his promises. Stand on his word. God is not a man that he can lie. He that has begun a good work in you is going to finish it. Stand. Stand on it. You are chosen for this moment. You are birthed to be used. Stand! Then he says, be still. That's worship. That's praise. Be still and know that I am God. The devil wants to keep you quiet because he knows when you praise and worship, it goes up, power comes down. Chains are broken. Demons start fleeing from you. Generational curses run. There's power in praise. There's power in worship. There's power in singing. There's power in dancing before your God. Some of you have been too quiet. Praise is power. Say it with me. Praise. Say it again. Say it again. Stand still. And then he says, see. You can't see sitting at home. You can't see not coming to church. Something happens miraculously when the people of God come together and worship and praise. You'll see and hear testimonies. You've got to be present to see. Stand still and see. Just imagine if you stayed home today. Just imagine you got mad and went to Wendy's instead of coming here. Just imagine what the blessing you would have missed on your life if you would have stayed in your pajamas under the covers looking at SpongeBob SquarePants. Every Sunday, hear me, every Sunday, every Bible study, every small group, God has something for you. He has something for you. He has, but you got to show up to get it. Aren't you glad you came today? I know I'm glad you came. 
because we're in this together. So raise your hands to heaven. Raise them. God, say it out loud. God, I'm a clay pot. Fill me with your treasure. I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired of hurting others. I want to be your vessel. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your promises. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your purpose. Fill me with your praise. I hunger, I thirst, I need a touch. I need a miracle, I need a change. I need you, I need you. As the deer panteth after the water, I thirst for you. Will you use me? Will you change me? I need you. Please don't leave me. Please help me. Help me. Help me to be a light in the darkness. I want to be used. Turn my pain into power. Turn my shame into your glory. Turn my stumbling blocks into stepping stones. I am yours and you are mine. I love you. I know now I'm good enough. I know now I'm beautiful. I know now you can do great things in me. I and you, Jesus, are enough. I say goodbye to my past. I say goodbye to my shame. And I accept the plan you have for my life. I let go of the bondage. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, I go forth a new person to conquer. In Jesus' name, I love you. I love you. God loves you. And you are good enough. If God can love you, in spite of all your sins, you can love yourself. So give yourself a hug. Come on, give yourself a hug. Come on, come on. Give yourself a hug. Give yourself a hug. Now hug somebody next to you and say, we're good enough. We're good enough. We're good enough. Because God says we are. We're good enough. Thank you for allowing me to share with you. I love you. In Jesus' name, bye-bye. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.